Hallelujah. Amen. 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 We thank God for another Wednesday. Um, we are grateful to be alive and we are happy to have you join us online. The psalmist said that, um, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And so this evening, we hope that you are happy to be in the house of the Lord to fellowship with us. On behalf of Bishop James and Pastor Justine Hansen-Saki, we welcome you very warmly to another special Q&A and prayer session. Amen. Amen. Today is day 10 of our fast. We thank God for the strength that he has given us to fast and to pray. We thank God for the new dimensions and the encounters that he has given us. Um, if you haven't started fasting, it's not too late to join. Um, God is taking us to places. Don't be left out. Amen. Amen. And because we are fasting, we have a lot of questions on prayer and fasting this evening that we will be talking about. Don't just think that there are any simple questions and, and answer session. Every question and every answer is a whole sermon on its own. I pray that you catch the revelation and you will run with it. Amen. 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 So, um, as always, um, with some emojis, some claps, some shouting, and some dancing, um, please join me as I welcome our very own Bishop, Bishop James Hansen-Saki, for us to start the Q&A session. You are welcome, Papa. Thank you. Thank you for giving us the opportunity one more time to ask you the, the numerous questions that we have um, this evening. Thank you so much, yeah. Papa. Please, do you want to say anything before we start? Oh, we are, we are all welcome. We thank God for his grace. Okay. I believe that um, the answers to your questions will become ministrations to you Amen. in the name of Jesus. Amen. I pray that the Holy Spirit take over this aspect of the service and may God himself provide answers that will satisfy your soul and also direct you to love him and to serve him in a better way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. So as we said, we have a Q&A and a prayer session. We hope that we'll be able to answer all the questions, but fear not if we are not able to. There are always more Q&A sessions ahead, amen. Um, if, as we go along, if you have any questions that drop into your spirit, please um, either send it to getunderstandingatchristchurches.org or post it on YouTube, Christchurch HQ, or Facebook, Christchurch International, and we will pick it up and put the questions to Bishop. Amen. So without wasting much time, because you don't have a lot of it, I will dig right into it, Papa. The first question we have is, um, what are the biblical reasons for fasting? What are the biblical reasons for fasting? Yes. I believe that when we look into the scriptures, um, biblically, we should fast. Mm -hmm. um, God requires us to fast. Uh, we see Jesus talk about fasting, and he talks so much about fasting, especially in chapter 6 of the book of Matthew. Um, right from the Old Testament, we see that various people used of God and the people of God themselves have also engaged in fasting. And uh, when we look across the scriptures, at least I can think about six or seven main reasons why we should biblically fast. Um, the first one 
is to humble ourselves. God always tells us to humble ourselves. And one of the greatest uh, manifestations of humility is to fast, seek God by fasting. Because when we, you see, humility is not an emotion. It's a state of mind. And it is an act. Um, God won't do what he has told us to do. So when he says we should humble ourselves, one of the ways is through fasting. In fact, the scripture says in Psalm 35 verse 13 that David said, I humbled myself with fasting. So fasting is a means by which we humble ourselves before God. Um, when, we, when we believe that we can do everything by ourselves, then we are not humble. And so when we fast, we deny ourselves certain privileges and pleasures and we bring ourselves before God, which is a greatest you know, manifestation of humility before God. So fasting is a form by which we humble ourselves before God. Uh, that is a biblical way David said, I, I humble myself with fasting. The second one that I could think about in scripture is also to draw near to God. You know, sometimes we are quick to fast because we want something from God, but we can fast as a means of humble, humbling ourselves before God, actually saying, I can't do this on my own. That's a mark of humility. And I'm seeking you by fasting and prayer for God to move. So that is humility one. Number two, to draw near to God. Uh, I think that James 4, 8 uh, says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So one of the ways to seek God is to draw near to him through fasting. Fasting is a means by which we draw near to God. And, you know, I said last week when the question was asked about fasting, that fasting is not just the denying of ourselves of food, but it's also a mark that we are homesick. We miss God and we have a relationship with him. Uh, very honest and genuine relationships should not be relationships that are based on only what I need but it's a means by which we can communicate. Mm. And so fasting creates that platform by which we go to God to draw near to God. It says, if you seek me, you shall find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so the second biblical reason is to draw near to God. The third biblical reason um, would be to actually um, understand the word of God more clearly. Um, we fast so that we can understand the word of God more clearly. You see, because the word of God is spirit um, and a large portion of it is also prophetic. Anything that came by prophecy cannot be understood by ordinary minds. That's why the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 2 that the natural man, the ordinary man, the unsaved, the unspiritual man does not understand the things of the spirit of God. Neither can they know them because these things are spiritually discerned. Mm. And so to understand the word of God, which is already spiritual, Jesus said the words I speak to you, they are life and they are spirit. Something that is spirit can only be understood by the spirit. And one of the means by which we get clarity in the word of God is through fasting and prayer. Personally, in my life, I find my understanding of God's word is deepened when I subject myself to fasting and prayer, especially to just seek God in his word. There have been times I've fasted and prayed and I wasn't praying about anything just to seek understanding of the word of God. 
um, because I understand that I have a teaching ministry and therefore I seek God for more understanding. So you're reading large volumes of scripture, several chapters, and then seeking God for clarity and understanding. It's a beautiful way of getting to God. And so we fast also to seek understanding in the word of God, to get clarity in the word of God. The fourth biblical reason why we fast is also to seek um, wisdom and divine guidance from God for our personal lives, for direction in our lives. Um, Ezra chapter 8, verse 21 to 23, Ezra said that I therefore proclaimed a fast by the river Ahava that we might seek, humble ourselves and seek direction for the right way for us, for our children and for our substance. So one of the biblical reasons for fasting is to seek divine direction. In life, we need direction. It is God who created us. He knows our tomorrow from today. We don't know our tomorrow. So it is good to go to him and fasting is one of the means by which we go to him and seek direction for our lives. The, the, the fifth, am I on, on the yes. fifth? Yeah, the fifth um, <laughs> reason would be to pray for health. Um, there have been occasions in scripture where people are sick and they seek God by fasting and prayer for God to heal them. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes there have been such a situation where doctors said there's no hope. There's nothing that can be done about this. But we know that there's a God who can do something about Amen. what doctors can't do anything about. Amen. And so fasting is one of the means. And the scripture tells us in Isaiah 58 as one of the rewards for fasting. It says that your health shall spring forth speedily. So one of the biblical means for fasting is, is, is to seek God for, of the biblical reasons for fasting, is to seek God for healing. And you see, in that connection, you see the Mark chapter 9 account and Luke chapter 9 account, and I think Matthew 17, 21 account all talks about the same. Jesus said that this kind of health problem, there was a boy who was born, he can't, you know, he's mute, he's dumb and he cannot do anything about himself. He suffers convulsions. And the Bible says, Jesus said, this kind cannot live except by prayer and fasting. So one of the biblical ways of actually seeking God for healing is fasting. Um, and, and so after six, six, yes, so <laughs> six um, I think that the, the next one will be um, actually seeking God for his anointing upon our lives and for the work of the ministry. The Bible talks about the apostles in Acts 13. They fasted and prayed. The Holy Spirit said, separate to me, Paul and Barnabas. And they fasted and prayed again. Then they laid their hands on them. When they had to choose the first lead, uh, deacons in Acts chapter 6, the Bible says they fasted and they prayed. After they were given a chance to choose, when they chose the seven, the Bible said they fasted, prayed, laid hands on them and put them in office. So when we also... Um, seeking the anointing of God to do the work of God. You see, the work of God is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so you can't do it with human might. Mm -hmm. And so when we fast and pray, it creates the atmosphere, but then it also becomes the door by which we receive the anointing of God to actually do the work of the ministry. And probably finally, it is also um, one of the reasons why we fast is to seek God's intervention in crises that defy normal human effort. Um, so there are, there are certain situations which the normal methods don't work. And so, for instance, in the case of the events recorded in um, First Chronicles chapter 20, or Second Chronicles chapter 20, the, the Bible says that um, Jehoshaphat and, and the 
and East and Judah um, were being invaded by three superpower countries, and they couldn't do anything about it. They sought God by fasting and prayer, and God moved and intervened. So I would say that these eight reasons um, are at least biblical reasons for us to fast and to pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Papa. Um, if you have just joined us, uh, we have started our Q&A. We've taken off already, but um, we are like the army. We don't leave anyone behind. Um, so you are welcome to the service. This is Christ Church International. We are happy to have you. Um, Bishop has just given us eight reasons um, why uh, eight biblical reasons why we fast. Mm. I hope you have you took notes. Um, if you don't have a paper and a pen or a pad, I'm giving you a few seconds to go get it mm. and um, write all these answers down because they will be a blessing to you. Mm. Um, amen. 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 So we fast for a lot of reasons. Some of them are to seek the face of God, to get closer to God, to humble ourselves before him for health, Yes. Um, to ask for divine intervention. Amen. 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 So we are still talking about fasting, Papa. Yes. The second question is, uh, now we know the benefits of fasting. Mm. How long should I fast? <laughs> <laughs> How long should I fast? Yes. Um, right. It's a, it's a very normal question to ask. Sometimes, you know, people think if the longer I do something, the, the more blessed I will be. But I believe that much as there may be an element of truth in that, in the context of such a spiritual exercise, um, the motive for fasting is what must be satisfied first, that it must fall within the will of God. It is not for any wrong reason. You would see that God was particular about that. Before he pronounced the blessings of fasting in Isaiah 58, he actually said, I don't want you to fast this way and that way and that purpose for which you have been fasting. But this is how I want you to fast. So our fasting should be with the right motive, and that is to seek God and also to seek the mind of God. Um, and then we come also by faith. Our motive is by faith, mm -hmm. and that is to believe two important things, that God is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Mm -hmm. When we are fasting according to the will of God and the purpose of God, then we would say that how do I fast? in terms of how long do I have to fast. Um, in terms of the duration, I would say that start off with baby steps. <laughs> if you are very new to fasting, it is not a competition. Motive again, motive, motive, motive. So it must be baby steps. Let's start off with what we can to start with. Sometimes I've advised people from experience that um, maybe start off with missing the last meal for the day. Okay. Now, it, 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 there is a reason why we start six to six. I'll come to that. But in fasting is fasting. We are denying ourselves food, okay, and in some cases, water for a spiritual purpose. So in order to start off, you may skip the last meal for the day. So let's assume that your last meal is always around 6 p.m. and that you normally eat your second meal. Let's assume that you, in the average situation, you are a three-course meal uh, individual. Um, so you have eaten at 7 a.m. as some of you do, and then 12 
or one o'clock in the afternoon for your lunch. Mm -hmm. And so your 6 p.m. or 6.30 p.m. dinner, you skip that. And you carry on praying throughout from 6 p.m. And read your Bible and pray. And you don't eat again till the next morning at 6. Um, that would surprise you to realize that you have actually fasted 18 hours. Because if your last meal was 12 o'clock and you skipped the 6 p.m. meal and you haven't eaten at 12 midnight and then you eat at 6 a.m., mm -hmm. you've actually fasted for 18 hours. Mm -hmm. That's quite a long time. I know that in between 11 and 5 a.m., you would have been asleep. Mm -hmm. But at least if you are focused, then you could be praying for the rest of the period that you are not sleeping which will still bring us to somewhere around 12 hours um, of prayer. So it's, it's a nice way of looking at it and starting. And if you could do that, then you can try skipping your second meal for the day. And then you realize that you have now eaten at 6 a.m., but you are not eating at your lunch time, and you are not eating the evening meal, and you are carrying on till the next morning when you eat at 6. So if you are starting fasting, like that, you will be taking these baby steps. Mm -hmm. And if you are comfortable, and then you carry on and realize that as your day, so shall your strength be. And then yeah. gradually as you build it up, then you can actually move on to want to try um, two days. Um, and then you try three days. Uh, and then as the Lord leads, then it could be seven days. Um, but you, you can't go three days um, at least the maximum you can go is three days without food and water. Um, you can't do without water after the third day. It, it must be divinely led um, because medically it won't be too good for, for you. Uh, but you can drink water and carry on for the rest. Those ones that did 40 days raw on the mountains and all these are divinely led ones. And so there is a place where we come there. But it's wise. I'm, I'm teaching this from the perspective of the new beginner and saying that you build it up from there. And then another time, we could try seven days, and then we go on for 21 days, and it goes on like that. So you keep missing, skipping the meal until you now skip the morning meal as well. Mm -hmm. So then it goes round like that, where you have actually now, um, you know, not eating for a whole day, and, and it goes on. People can go three days raw like that, and go on seven days like that, and go on like that. So this is, as far as the length of time is concerned, we start off this way. When it comes to the other complicated ones, as in, can I go seven days, 21 days, 40 days? Um, it all comes down to what is the reason, back to either any of the seven reasons, and whether we are divinely being led to go 21, to go 40, Sometimes those we read about in scripture that they went 40 did not intend to go 40. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we are dealing with some issue and the thing is not taking off, it's not getting away. The Holy Ghost keeps on prompting us, hanging there, hanging there, and we carry on like that. When Elijah prayed, we were not told how many days he prayed for the rains to come back. But, you know, he kept on checking and when there's no sign of, rain, of clouds, he carried on praying. That means that he could have gone on 
uh, more than the seventh time, if the rain did not come on the seventh time or the cloud didn't show up the seventh time, there are beddings in the spirit. As you begin to pray, it doesn't shift. That means you hang in there. The Lord needs you in that position. So it keeps on going on and that goes on to day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, and we keep on going on like that. So there are times where the Lord has said every year fast for 21 days. There are times the Lord has said in the middle of the year fast 14 days. These are divinely led ones. It takes us into that realm and the spirit of God helps us and strengthens us to carry on praying. So um, in terms of duration, we start off this way, but every Christian should have a fasting life at least once a week. Amen. 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 <laughs> Thank you very much, Papa. You're welcome. So it's all about the motive. <laughs> Amen. 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 Um, just a second. Yeah. Good. So I have another question that I want to tag on to this one, Papa. Right. Um, it says that, is there a reason why churches tend to fast for 21 days at the beginning of the year? Why is it not longer or shorter? Okay, well, um, I think that the, there has been some sudden craze about this whole thing that sometimes <laughs> appears like a competition, and I... I always want to be spirit-led rather than, you know, peer pressured into, into these things. Um, I don't know why a lot of churches may do so. It stands to reason that when you are beginning the year, you could fast and pray and seek direction from God for the rest of the year. Uh, some people don't do it at all, but then it's appeared as if, I mean, for us, it has been our style for some time um, or our way of doing things. We fast a lot in this church and we... <laughs> the last the last week of every month we fast we got our fasting week um, etc but then when it comes to the beginning of the year uh, we see it quite a lot around some do it because they see others doing it mm -hmm. but i believe that every ministry must be biblically led to fast and pray and that's why i said that it is a peer pressure thing some people saw some people being praying for 21 days and then they also uh, followed uh, but sometimes it is not like that. We, we have had a situation where at the beginning of the year, we fasted 40 days um, on two occasions. Then we came back to 21. These are all being led by God to, to do that. Um, I don't know about other ministries as to why they also do this. But I know at least I've asked somebody before to say, why do you do this? Oh, but it's a season everybody's doing. I say, it shouldn't be everybody doing it. You know, so your ministry must be divinely led, Holy Ghost led, and not because another church is doing something. Because if you copy what another church is doing, when the Lord has not led you, you'll be having an exercise in futility because nothing will come out of it if it's not divinely directed. Mm -hmm. So it is proper for us to start the year with fasting and prayer. As to the number of days, um, God will have to speak to the, to the senior minister to say, I want your church to do this. I want my people that you are leading to actually separate themselves and fast and seek my face for 14 days some 21 days, some 30 days, some seven days. It shouldn't be competition. It must be quality and the motive and the purpose and the direction from the Lord. So I think that would be my response to, to Amen. that. Amen. Yes. Thank you, Papa. So it is not about peer pressure. Um, don't be pressured to do something that the Holy Spirit has not divinely inspired and directed. Amen. 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 So we are moving on. Yes. We've um, found out the biblical reasons why we must fast. Mm. We've spoken about how long we should fast. Mm. Um, the next question is, what should I do during the fast? Mm. Um, should it be, what should be the normal schedule 
um, if I'm fasting. And um, I would like to add here that maybe you could split it into two. And um, there are some people who maybe they are in school with COVID, they are home or they are not really, they don't really have a normal schedule of things they do. Mm. What do they need to do? And if you are also a worker, a full-time worker who mm. is also working, what kind of schedule can you um, work around um, during the fasting? Okay, right. <clears throat> Let me start off from the first part. Yes, okay. <laughs> okay. Under normal circumstances, if we are fasting, um, the first thing we need to um, take note of is to be sure that you don't get constipated. <laughs> okay. So from the health perspective, you, you not make sure that you don't get constipated. So you prepare your body for it. Um, when we are breaking the fast, we can actually um, you know, make sure that we eat a little bit more of things like fruits, um, salad, um, and things like that to actually keep the bowels moving. Um, so that we don't get constipated. Um, then you avoid things like tea and, and coffee because these are actually, um, they, they, you know, they cause dehydration. So you normally don't actually get them into your system when you are also fasting. So it doesn't make you dehydrated. You need fluids to run the system. Um, so having that, that preparation, the next important thing to do is to ensure that you read your Bible. You must give enough time to Bible reading. I found that in the scriptures and I found that in experience that you read your Bible before you start praying. And the reason why it is the wise and practical thing to do is that when you read your Bible, it feeds your spirit. When you read the word of God, the word of God anoints your spirit man. And so it now empowers you to do the prayer with focus because the word is a revelation of the will and the mind of God. So when you read the Bible first, you prepare your spirit to undertake the prayer. And it puts your mind in focus because you are going to pray. Effective prayer is praying the word of God. So you need to have been exposed to the word. You need to be reading the word. And then you give ample time to prayer. So there must be ample time for the word. Don't just do it like a quick thing. Mm -hmm. It must be deliberately part of the fasting. The fasting and prayer is in two ways. We are denying ourselves food for two main spiritual practices. The word and prayer. The prayer will be hollow without the foundation of the word. So the word is spirit and the word anoints you when you read the word. When you read the word, it will anoint you. So, anoint you. So that's how you do. Your spirit man gets anointed with the word. You carry strength. See, when the scripture talks about the yoke shall be destroyed by reason of the anointing, the root word translated there is by reason of the fatness. You know, and it was using the 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 neck of an oxen or um, any of the animals. You know that you know normally the farmer will put a yoke on the neck of two cows to be able to direct their path and to control them. Because if the farmer is not there, once the yoke is there, they go one direction. And that's what the same thing that is used to describe satanic attacks as in putting a yoke on you so the yoke must be broken so that you can be free to move. So two cattle can be controlled by putting a wooden yoke into their neck to control them. Now, when they eat a lot, 
their neck becomes fat and gradually it breaks the yoke. So when we feed on the word of God, it fattens our spirit man and it breaks off every yoke from us. It's one of the reasons why the devil traps you in not reading your word. So the practical way of having a successful fast is start off with reading your scriptures. You can divide them into different parts of the fasting period and then pray and then read a very good material, just like we are fasting as a church. And I'm giving you the various chapters of my books for you to read and it prepares you in a particular way. So that is one of the procedures. After we've dealt with constipation, <laughs> we come and deal with the process. Prayer, the word, then prayer as we fast. And then we meditate on the word of God as we fast. Then we also become very mindful of certain things. Be mindful of satanic attacks. When you fast, Satan will attack you. And so that's why you will notice that sometimes when you are fasting, there's sometimes a sudden feeling of unhappiness, a sudden feeling of depression, a sudden feeling of no joy, as if, is this necessary? These are all clear indications of an attack by the powers of darkness. Um, it's to discourage you. And with another sense, you see it as like a... Um, a backhand compliment from the devil. You are mm -hmm. actually worrying him. It's a sign you are worrying him. So they are taking steps to discourage you from the process. So when you start feeling these things, don't let it worry you. Carry on fasting. Amen. Carry on praying because believe only one thing. God still loves you. He hears prayer. He rewards those who fast. And God loves you whether you feel it or not. So during the fasting period, there will be a period where there's dryness completely, as if God is not in it, as if there's nothing, carry on. All those signs, when you see them, just keep carrying on. It's a sign something is bothering the devil. So you see a whole lot of things. You see a whole lot of annoying things coming around. You get annoyed with members of the family, spouse annoying you. All those things, they, they are clear indications something is happening in the spirit. Your fasting is causing trouble somewhere. So when you see those signs, don't be discouraged. Carry on. Amen. Carry on praying. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that you need to also do during the period is to write down the prayer topics. So for instance, in church, at least we've made the prayer topics available to you. But any of them that also comes by inspiration, take note of it and write it down. Sometimes in your own private life, as you are praying the prayer topics of the church, the Lord may also be burdening you with some prayers. Write them all down and date it. Date it. Because God will answer the prayer. He may answer it immediately. He may answer it in some 10 years to come, five years to come. So you look back and realize the Lord answered so that it becomes a fuel for you to boost your faith against the future. So the next time you have to fast, you know God does something. I mean, I recently we um, went to the place where our church uh, keeps our goods in storage. And uh, there's a box that we had, anytime we're doing fasting, we put prayer topics in there, we wrote them. So I found that box and I opened it and there was a lot of prayer topics, you know, that have been prayed over the years in there. And I opened it, I took my time to kneel down and spent about an hour opening each of them. And to the glory of God, about 98% of all those 
written in that prayer to, has all been answered. Amen. In fact, I took one out specifically to come and show it to my wife because it was a prayer she prayed for her relative and that has been exactly answered the way she requested it on that um, you know, paper that she has put in that place. You know, when you look back to something like this, it fuels your faith to continue to believe God to fast and pray. So there must be a reference point for your fasting. And when you are fasting on your own, when we are not praying as a church, do the same thing. Write something down so that you can look back to it and begin to believe God for greater things that will come. So this will be the procedure. And then finally, we shouldn't show any sign to the rest of the world that we are fasting. Jesus addressed that again in Matthew chapter 6. He says that don't distort your face so others will know that you are fasting. Your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Our motive again is not to impress people that we are fasting, but actually to make sure that it is carried. It's a spiritual exercise. Um, if it's for our church, it's for our church. If we do flyers, they are for internal use to remind us. Um, and if uh, some people may have to know that you are fasting. But again, the motive is what the Lord himself judges. Some people who are close to us must know that we are fasting. Sometimes I deliberately put it as my status on, on WhatsApp um, because to send some message to some people who have been troubling me, you know, and they call and call. And because I'm fasting and praying, I'm not able to pick some calls and I'm not able to talk to people on the phone. But they don't understand. You know, somebody angrily wrote back, why are you ignoring my calls? Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's when that is there, the person can see, oh, it's in this state. And I think that is better. So there are certain people around you who must know. But then it's not for the whole world to know that you are fasting. So keep it a secret and it must be between you and God as you pray and fast. And it must not actually change anything about your normal life at all. It shouldn't change anything. Um, you can carry on normally, like the way you do things. You can be working and still be fasting. Um, unless you have got the liberty to take some days off, that would be great. It's, if you read the scriptures, Leviticus 25, Leviticus 17, Leviticus 26, God tied fasting to the Sabbath and to consecrations that separate yourself and fast, you know, so the land must rest. So there must be a time where your stomach is also resting uh, so that at least you can, you can fast and seek God. So we must be able to carry on our normal schedule um, without any sign of, of anything. Um, I, I do remember it was just a day before Christmas or something that, you know, we were talking, I was talking to my eldest son and then I said to him, I think there's something, he said, are you not eating? And I said, well, it's in preparation for the fasting. But anyway, I've been fasting, I'll break it tomorrow on 25th. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, well, I said, oh no, the whole of December I fast. Because as the head of the church, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't start your fast with the church when they start on the 4th. You, you are ahead of them, way behind. So, but I was busy doing a lot of things in December and until I tell you, you won't know. Um, so, but you will be able to carry on your normal activities as usual without breaking anything, carry on doing everything as you must do. And I think that it should be fine. Amen. 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 So when we are fasting, we should, uh, we should be able to carry on with our normal activities, but we must dedicate a lot of time to prayer and to fasting. fasting. Yes. And we have to make sure that our system is working properly and we are not constipated. We have to be healthy. Yes. Amen. 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 Um, moving on, Papa. Mm. Um, the next one says, I think it's, 
it's, it's a good place to have this one come in. Okay. How about the unpleasant things that I experience in my body when I'm fasting, like headaches, weaknesses, etc.? Is it normal, and how should I react and respond to them? Okay. They, they, yeah, it's normal for you to experience some headaches and some uncomfortable situation in the stomach. Um, the stomach works by habit. It knows the, by the body clock, it knows what time of the day you have been putting something in. So when it's not coming, it's expecting it. So it's going to make you feel very hungry. Uh, so th so th those of you who have got a regular eating pattern, you, you will notice that if we are doing the six to six, when it's around 11.30, 12, you feel an intense hunger. It's, it's the stomach trying to say, where is my thing? <laughs> now you can control it. So it makes you uncomfortable. Uh, pain is an announcement by the body that something is not right somewhere. Mm. Um, in the same way, uh, sometimes, you know, when we haven't eaten for a long time, uh, glucose levels may go down. Mm. So we feel very low and very down and very weak. Um, and then it results in headaches, etc. I don't want to explain the pathophysiology of all of that. But when you're having a headache, it's all right. After some time, it will go up. Since you'll be breaking the fast, gradually you're getting some more um, energy and some more glucose that will go into circulation to balance things. Uh, sometimes, because uh, there's no water for a while, it creates an imbalance mm. in the system. And so sometimes you can take in some fluids. The fasting is not a direct fasting to say no water, no no food, uh, but significantly you can take some water mm. uh, to, to create the hydration in the system that balances the equilibrium of things and therefore uh, it takes away the headache a little bit. Um, so those discomforts and things, they are for a while. Um, when we carry on with the fast for a point, to a point, the body becomes used to the new trend mm. and therefore it goes away. But when we start, yes, you have all these things and then somewhere in the middle of the fast, you ask yourself, but where are you headache? I can't find you anymore. You know, it goes on like that. So, yes, it is all right. You see these signs. They come along, uh, but then it, it won't kill you. Um, <laughs> but if it's becoming persistent um, over a period, maybe it's a sign that something is wrong. Uh, sometimes it's fasting exposes two things. It exposes something that is happening spiritually, and it may also expose something that has been hidden in your body. So when you fast, at least... And you start seeing certain signs of your health. And you wonder, mm, normally if I don't eat, I shouldn't have this. But if I don't eat and I'm having this, probably, and it's becoming consistent, maybe I may seek medical attention. And you'll be surprised as to what it may reveal. Um, so sometimes when that is going on for a while, then you may have to pause the fast. Um, you discuss with your pastor and check with your doctors and see, does this affect me in this way? And in that case, you, you may put a stop to it. Some people had fasted and then they realized that they had, they had been diabetic and they didn't know. Mm. And so as a result of that, there's that sort of, you know, shaking and all of that. And it's becoming, it's not like a one-off, but it's becoming consistent. Maybe if you seek medical advice or your pastor is very knowledgeable and you subject it to his counsel, he may be able to direct you in the right way to say, let's get a medical opinion on this and maybe it may expose something. In that case, we will advise you to stop the raw fast, eat, take your medication to balance your sugar levels and believe God in prayer, carry on praying. You see, we can eat and not eat and still fast 
and, sorry, and pray. So we can be praying and still seeking God for total healing so that you have a balance of the approach. And in the end, I believe that you become victorious. Amen. Amen. Um, just a little question to add on to that. Okay. So you said that if you have some of those uncomfortable experiences, you can have uh, take a little bit of water. Yeah. What about things like energy drinks? <laughs> and also um, to help those of us who uh, you know, are taking baby steps towards fasting, yeah. um, in your experience, if you are doing, let's say, a week-long fast, mm. uh, which day is the hardest in terms of, you know, on your body, you know, I, I think sometimes maybe when you start, there's a lot of energy, so you go on, and then maybe they, there's a certain day where it's really hard, and if you are not careful, you might, you know, get off the, the bandwagon. Is there anything like that, or is it um, an individual experience, sort of? Um, yeah, I think that it's, um, to the first question as to, I, I, I always counsel water. Um, than energy drink. Mm -hmm. um, energy drink is a deception um, from the medical point of view because it will boost the glucose mm -hmm. and you have a seemingly surge of energy and then after a while it goes down again. You know, So you keep deceiving yourself and you don't let the body adjust to the new normal. Mm -hmm. you know, so water is better. Uh, water um, hydrates your system and keeps your kidneys running. It's, it's good to drink a lot of water. It's good to drink a lot of water. So you can drink water and you can also deceive your stomach <laughs> and drink more water so that you would think food has arrived. Um, but then we can uh, drink more water than any of these concentrated uh, things, which in the end may not be the best outcome you want to have, especially if you're hungry for a very long time. An energy drink is not the best form of thing to drink, especially on the stomach, since some of them have got acids in them. Uh, so I think it is better to, if you have eaten something, you drink an energy drink later on, that's fine. But I think to, to be using that as your source of energy whilst mm -hmm. you go, mm -hmm. I believe that it's a mysterious thing to fast. And when you fast, energy comes from above and it keeps you going. Um, so I believe water more, water. The second question is as to which part of the days is hardest if you are going like seven days. Um, I believe the first three days is as for day one, you have eaten <laughs> and you are carrying on. Um, and so when you are getting to the point where you normally eat, that is where you start feeling the pangs of hunger. Mm. Um, and so you're able to go on. But I believe that if you are actually fasting correctly, that there's enough prayer in the whole thing and the word as your day, so shall your strength be. So as you are getting towards the end, you feel more energized. You feel there's a strength from somewhere that comes and you are able to carry on without uh, that. But yes, it's, it seems, I believe the first three days, uh, if you are doing a seven-day fast, mm. you know, and then it goes on and on from there. So some people are different. Some, no matter what you turn them around, even the 21st day, they are still weak. So, <laughs> so I believe it's an individual affair as well uh, sometimes. Yes, please, you can't really you. give um, one-size-fits-all answer to, mm -hmm. to, to such things. <laughs> yes, please. Thank you so much, Papa. You're welcome. Um, okay. Uh, what are the biblical rewards for fasting? I know you mentioned some of them um, when you were answering the first question. Are there any more you want to add? Um, ah, yes. And I think uh, two days ago, I, oh, is it yesterday? Yes. 
that I, I shared with the church on the 10 biblical um, blessings for fasting or rewards for fasting. Uh, but for the purpose of those who uh, were not in our church Zoom meeting, um, at least we could see 10 of them. And of course, the, the scripture in um, Isaiah 58 uh, from verse 8 to 12 uh, summarizes these 10 point uh, blessings that the Lord rewards us with. And Jesus actually is the one who made the promise. Uh, he dealt with prayer separately, but when it came to chapter 6 um, from verse uh, 16, um, to 17, he said that when we fast, his heavenly father, our heavenly father, will reward us openly. So God is a rewarder when we fast. And that's a powerful promise in God's word. And, and then we see that I was saying that in order to reap the full rewards, we need to have an attitude which is making God first and also coming with a mindset of faith in God. Uh, and that faith in God uh, is underpinned by two beliefs. Hebrews eleven six, Anyone without faith, it is impossible to please God. And anyone that comes to God must know. You see that word know there is a revelation knowledge. Must have a revelation knowledge that God exists. And secondly, that he is a rewarder. So you approach God with this mindset that he exists and that he is a rewarder. And then the rewards that he gives, at least Isaiah 58 tells us that this is the fast that I reward. Mm. And he says, when we fast, our light shall break forth mm. out of darkness. Mm. It shall break forth. Everyone was born with a light. That light must be seen. That is what makes you significant. That is what makes you matter on the earth. That's what makes you to become what God called you to become. There is a light. Jesus' light was seen by wise men. There is a light that you carry. And so your light shall break out. Some people's light has been obscured, kept in obscurity. A blanket of obscurity has been covering it. When you fast and pray, one of the rewards is that your light will come out. Amen. Then the second thing is that he says that your, when your light shines, then he says your health will also spring forth speedily. So there's blessing of health. And then he says also that the righteousness of God shall be yours. It shall go ahead of you. Your righteousness is a righteousness that the Lord purchased for you. That righteousness is a defense. Upon all the righteousness, God says, my defense shall be on it. So the righteousness of the Lord shall go ahead of you. And he says, his glory also shall be behind you as a rare guard. He puts his glory on Israel behind them. The Egyptians could not track them for a whole night. His glory was upon them. So the, the righteousness of God goes ahead of you and the glory of God goes behind you. And then he also talks about the fact that he will satisfy your soul in drought. So there's satisfaction as well. And then he says that he will also, um, you know, when you pray, he will answer. When you pray, he will answer. He says, and when you call for help, he'll say, here I am. So there's also answered prayer, a blessing of a response from the presence of God. Then he says, you shall be like a watered garden. That means that you receive refreshing throughout. A watered garden cannot be ignored. It's, it's leaves and it's flowers and everything blossoms around it because there's always a constant supply. It says when we fast and pray, then this shall be the rewards. Amen. And then he talks about the fact that there will also be an enduring 
value to our work when it says that you will be like streams of waters whose source never runs dry. There will be a constant supply. Whatever you go, whatever you do will, will live long and outlive you. It shall be sustained. And finally, it says restoration. You shall be called the restorer of the breach. You will repair ancient rings. Whatever has been destroyed, you'll be able to restore it. The grace and anointing for restoration comes upon you when we fast and pray. And so we see a 10-point blessing for fasting and praying. And that is, these are biblical rewards for fasting. Amen. 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 I Amen. pray that we will reap all these rewards um, Amen. as we go through this fast. And there will be testimonies to this as well. Amen. 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 Um, the next question, Papa. Yes. A friend told me that in their church at the beginning of the year, mm. during their 21-day fasting, their pastor asked every member to pay 365 pounds as insurance to God for God to protect them from every evil for that year. What is your take on it? Huh. <laughs> this is where I wish one of my arrows of destiny would be here. To, if you are in Christ church, this, this one, one of the arrows will be able to answer it with biblical emphasis. Now, <laughs> I don't know what motivates this pastor to request an insurance premium from his members on behalf of God. <laughs> but we have just seen the purpose of fasting and we have seen the benefits of fasting. And there is nothing in these biblical examples I have given to you that suggests that um, because there are 365 days in the year, you collect insurance on behalf of God. I mean, this is totally unbiblical. <laughs> and it's, we must say it as it is. You know, um, it is not Bible. And the Holy Spirit doesn't lead like this. You know, it's more of fleecing the people. And uh, it's a lie. Simple and, and short, as we say when we were going to school. <laughs> I mean, they, I know there are prophetic directions, but to say that everybody should bring 365 pounds as insurance to ensure that they will live through the year, but we just saw the benefits of fasting and prayer. That longevity, health, bless, they are there. If our motive for seeking God, when we do it, the Lord our God, who sees in secret, will reward us openly. Amen. See, these whole things of, you know, date of birth, additions, New Year, 2021, additions will come and so 20, 2021. I mean, can we stop this lottery with this God? <laughs> so, please, I don't think that your pastor is in the right uh, frame of spiritual um, order in terms of this sort of regular pattern of 365 every year as insurance. Mm. Uh, insurance for what? For long life? Teach the people, pastor, teach the people why they must give. Let's not do gimmicks mm. in the name of the Lord. It's a lie, and you know it's a lie. The devil knows it too. But there are clear biblical directions that we can inform the church on how they must give and people will give and they will be blessed. Amen. Because God honors our giving, but he doesn't honor it when we have to fleece the people and lie to the people and trick the people with these things. It is not the biblical way of approaching giving, especially 
for people to be blessed for the whole year. People can sow seeds to tie their faith to God. But to be told that this exact amount is insurance on behalf of God. God doesn't run an insurance company. <laughs> and you are not a company that is collecting premium. Insurance premium for the life of the people. In him we live and move and have our being. Amen. 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 In God we live, we move, and we have our being. Yes. And God doesn't run an insurance company. Amen. Amen. Someone wrote on YouTube that this is holy robbery. Holy robbery. <laughs> of course, I agree. <laughs> may, may God open our eyes um, to understand his word. Amen. 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 This is why I say you should not miss our services because we are taught proper doctrine mm. so that we don't deviate from it and nobody is able to deceive us as well. Amen. 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 So, um, moving on, Papa. Yes. Can I fast for my own personal needs as well as the corporate needs at the same time? Yes. Um, it is possible. Uh, but then, like, if, if, for instance, the whole church is fasting, we are fasting as a body. Um, and that's why you notice that each of the prayer topics still have a place where it says, pray for yourself. Mm. Um, but it also depends on exactly what you are asking God for. And maybe during this period, you also want. So the point where um, you are fasting for the church, we pray for that. But then there may be, let's say, an hour in the day that you're also using that to also pray specifically for certain specific needs. And it is all right to, to also pray uh, that it's also all right. Amen. It is not holy robbery. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Amen. Next question. <laughs> when fasting 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., mm. we are told um, we are not allowed to eat before 6 a.m. Mm. Why and where is this written? Um, okay. Let me start it off by the last statement. Where is it written? Mm. In fact, fasting 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. is also not written anywhere. It is just for us to have guidance. And that's why I told you that, you know, you can fast the other way around. Just that for us to have uniformity and for, for ease of reference, where it's very easy to know, okay, I started off at 6 and I'm ending at 6 p.m. Mm. We break the fast at 6 and then we gather as a church at 7. You know, so this is the, this is the reason but it's not written anywhere. Um, so in the same context, I, uh, I haven't given such an order, but if this is what is going on, um, <laughs> uh, we, we haven't given an order that you can't eat before six. No, we haven't said that. So I, I don't know about that. Unless in some churches, that's fine, but I, I don't know. Um, but the point is that since you are about to even start praying, um, and you are starting your fast at 6, what's the point in actually trying to eat at 5.30 anyway? <laughs> Why do you want to eat at 5.30? To actually prepare your stomach for the battle ahead. Um, so, and you notice what I was saying, that if you follow the proper direction, when you break the fast at 6, that's it. You are not supposed to eat anything again. Carry on with the prayer. We are praying around the clock for 21 days. We break the fast at 6. But we are carrying on. So your next meal is actually the next 6 p.m. So that's why it's looking 24 hours, you know. But in between these, you are praying. There will be a period where you sleep. Mm -hmm. um, so 
Yes, I know sometimes you bite one or two things and some even at 12 midnight are still swallowing some stuff and all of that. <laughs> uh, but it all depends on your motive for fasting. But there's no order that says you can't eat at five. Uh, but at five, we are fasting. We are praying. We are all up praying. Unless whilst we are praying, you are actually, that's why your, that is why your, your device is on mute. Uh, now tomorrow we'll release every device. So we can hear the sound of the, of the, of the spoon in the plate. <laughs> May the Lord help us in Jesus' name. But as your day, so shall your strength be. There's no law that says you shouldn't, but it's your conscience. It's up to you and what you want to attain out of this. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. Thank you to whoever asked that question. Um, I think it's something that most people, I don't think anyone has directed anyone per mm, but, se, okay. um, but it's almost sort of an unwritten rule. rule that not like, not this church alone, but most but people. In most places, yes, okay. Yes. Right, okay. Yes. I think it's to prevent cheating. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Okay. Amen. Um, still moving on, Papa. Yes. According to um, 1 Corinthians 14, verse mm. 14 to 15, mm. you can pray in tongues mm -hmm. and you can pray with your understanding. Mm. Is there a specific place and a time for each of them? Oh, no. The, the discretion is, is at your own discretion. Um, because the spirit of the prophet is under the control of the prophet. Mm. You see, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, it's different from spirit possession in, let's say, African traditional religion, where we have spirit possession. When you are possessed by a spirit, you, you are not in control. The spirit is in control. But in the case of God, the Holy Spirit, the principles of God right from Genesis hasn't changed. The power of free choice uh, is still given to us. So even when God comes to inhabit us, he does not possess us. You know, spirit possession in the occult world or in African traditional religion, it comes to take over you completely. So the person doesn't even know where he is. He's moving in one direction. You see that in festivals and things, and this person is possessed, and nobody could can control that person. But in the case of the Holy Spirit, he's a gentle spirit. And whilst he's in you, he doesn't control you. He leads he doesn't control. He leads us. That's why Jesus said when he comes, he will guide. He didn't say when he comes, he will control you. He will guide into all truth. So the spirit of God guides us. And as a result of that, we still have got the power of choice. That was why on the day of Pentecost, the freshness of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Peter was still able to hear the gossip outside the window that says, these guys are drunk. Mm -hmm. And he said, hold on. We are not drunk as you suppose. So he may have clapped his hands or stilled everybody. Because sometimes I remember in secondary school, people say, if you are filled with the Holy Ghost and the Spirit is upon you, why is it that when the leader claps, then everybody keeps quiet when you are speaking in tongues? Yes, because we are not possessed. We are filled with the Holy Spirit with control over our faculties. So we could hear things, we can hear, and we can choose to stop and can choose to continue. So... Peter stopped praying in the freshness of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He stopped praying and then he addressed the crowd that we are not drunk as you suppose, but this is by the third hour of the day. That this is that which the prophet Joel prophesied, you know, and then he spoke. So when it comes to Paul teaching 
on tongue speaking and the gifts of the spirit and says that we pray in tongues, we pray in the spirit and we can sing in the spirit and we can also pray with the understanding. You can switch in between the two. Sometimes in prayer meetings, you realize that I may be praying English or somebody's praying English then he switched to tongues and then we go back in and it's like that. So there's not a set place for, for that unless there's a particular reason why this person asked the question in terms of probably what uh, people may have misunderstood First Corinthians 14 to mean that when we don't pray in tongues uh, publicly and that it should be a private matter. Uh, that context is not that because there's a difference between speaking in tongues and praying in tongues. When Paul was addressing this, he said, when you all come together and one is standing there, he said, when I come among you to preach and I stand among you and I speak in tongues, how can the visitor understand what I'm saying? So he's talking about preaching. He said, I would rather preach with one or two, three words that everybody will understand to be edified. So what he was actually criticizing there or condemning there is when we have come for service, choir has sung, everything has finished, and I come and stand in front, and I start preaching, and I'm preaching in tongues. <laughs> so he said, switch, speak English. But when we have to pray, then he's the same person who taught in the same chapter that he that speaks in an unknown tongue or prays in an unknown tongue does not speak unto men. He's speaking directly to God. However, in the spirit, he's speaking mysteries to God. So you see, I'm talking to God. I'm not talking to you. That is why if that context is understood, then whether people are there or not, I can pray in tongues because I'm addressing God directly. I'm not talking to my next door neighbor. But if it comes to explaining something, then I have to switch to actually communicate that in known language to everybody. So in the same way, we can pray in tongues and then maybe there are some scriptures that are coming to your spirit. You speak them in English, bind the devil in English, declare some things, ask God some things in English and probably the Holy Ghost burdens you again and you continue to pray in tongues because sometimes when we pray in tongues, one of the benefits of tongue speaking is that we pray for things that we are not aware of, don't even know, but in the spirit, we are speaking mysteries unto God by our human spirit who is doing the prayer and our own understanding is not part of the process. Amen. 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 Wow. You know, I said that every question and every answer is a whole sermon on its own. I hope that you got the revelation there. It says that there's a difference between speaking in tongues and praying in tongues. Mm -hmm. And don't misinterpret that scripture. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. The Holy Spirit um, is a gentle spirit. He leads. Mm -hmm. He doesn't control. Amen. 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 Um, Another question, Papa. How mm. do you interpret visions and dreams that you have received through fasting? Okay. Um, there was a question that I think it was Joseph who said that to Pharaoh. He said, interpretations belong to God and God himself shall answer Pharaoh. So God who gives the vision, he's also by his spirit brings the interpretation. Um, and so we have to be very careful about books on dreams. That seems to say when you see this, it means that. There are sometimes it is, but sometimes it is not. You know that the two people that had a dream uh, and they came to Joseph in prison, uh, all of them said that they saw, one saw three baskets, uh, another also saw something. And, and Joseph said, Three baskets means three days, you know, whereas the other person's own, he also said three days. So you realize that it wasn't, 
when you see three baskets, it means three days. Because another person also saw something else and he said that was also in three days. And But then the outcomes were different. One was taken and killed. The other will be released and he went back into the palace. So we just need the same Holy Spirit for interpretation. There are certain uh, things that seems to be a general rule. For instance, we know from the body of scripture that any dream we have more than once, we must take it seriously. Even one, we take it But When you have it more than once, you have to take it seriously because that's the same thing Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar in interpreting the dream and the same thing Joseph also said to, to Pharaoh. He said, in that the dream was repeated, in that this is doubled, it is imminent. It will be brought to pass. So that means in the realm of the spirit, it is cooked. Whether good or bad, it is cooked. So you take it seriously and wage war. So it's one at least approach to interpreting one form of dream. To say, I have had it more than once. It means God is sending a message. It means something is going on in the spirit. You need to pray about this. So we take it to God in prayer. Sometimes when you have a dream and a vision, you need to meditate on it and pray for interpretation. And believe God. When you pray such a prayer, he, it is at his discretion how he brings the interpretation. He may create a circumstance that will make you see this is it. He can use your pastor to bring the interpretation. He can draw your interpretation, the interpretation to you by another dream. Another dream will come to interpret the previous dream. Mm. You see, so there is, it's difficult to put a particular formula to dream interpretation and vision interpretation. But then you look at it all in the context of the things I have seen in the dream. Does it mean anything in scripture? That's why we need to move away from methods. Because just like I'm saying, the father you saw a snake in the dream, it doesn't mean the devil all the time. Because if I read my scriptures, Jesus also said, I sent you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be wise like serpents. So what if that snake is God actually telling you about wisdom? You see, and it's definitely not the devil. So we need to be very careful how we, you know, pick things and just interpret. Otherwise, we'll get it wrong. The Holy Spirit is the best interpreter. And the scriptures are the basic foundation for interpretation of scripture. So when we, of, of visions. So when we see something, we may see a pattern. But I believe that the best way is to seek God in prayer. When we do, I'm telling you, he may reveal another vision to explain what has happened. And he can also use another person to bring the interpretation. He can use anybody to bring it to your understanding. And then depending on the anointing on your life, sometimes he may give you a quick understanding of what it is. Mm. You know, so depending on the grace of God, the gifts of the Spirit, he may bring understanding by the gifts of the Spirit as well. Mm. By the word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits. God will be able by the Holy Spirit to bring understanding in all these areas. So um, that is how we, we, we interpret dreams. Seek the same Amen. Holy Spirit who gave it. He will interpret it. Amen. Amen. The Holy Spirit brings interpretation. And of and course, your pastor is there. Is the so. foundation. And of course, your pastor is there. Amen. Amen. I have, um, let's see, time check. <laughs> <laughs> I have one more question on fasting. Okay. And then I have three questions um, that are not on fasting, but okay. I think we need to clear it so that we can have a, okay. an open mind to, to fast. Papa. Okay. Um, so the last question that I'm taking on fasting, it says, is it okay if a pastor asks a member of the church 
to buy him beverages and other essentials so that he can fast on behalf of that member. <laughs> oh, God <laughs> almighty. I think Caroline will be able to answer this question. <laughs> Jevan will answer this question for me. These are my... I, where are all of them? Uh, uh, and then... Uh, Nora Angela, mm. you see this, uh, James, all this, they, they, they will just be able to answer this question for me. <laughs> now, pastor, pastor, pastor. <laughs> the good shepherd lays his life down for the flock. So if you put your stomach down for the flock, why should they buy you provisions? To <laughs> I mean, what kind of, what kind of, you see, this is not Bible. And, uh, you know, it is, it is unethical. To, to do that. There's no way in scripture where the men of God that stood in the gap on behalf of the nation have asked the nation to bring them something as compensation for fasting. It is part of your job description as a servant of God to stand in the gap on behalf of the people. That is why God called you. So you don't say, because I'm fasting for you for 21 days, bring me 21 days worth of provision. <laughs> This is not like blood donation that when you do go and donate the blood, then they give you milo and other things to, to bring back the nutrients and vitamins. I mean, this is, this is totally wrong. You don't approach spiritual things from that perspective. Again, Jesus taught us. He says, if you fast according to the will of the Father, your Father who sees the labor and the sacrifice in secret will himself reward you. So you don't put you know, a price tag to read. To, so if you are fasting for 10 church members, what is going to happen? All of them are going to bring from Asda to Costco various requests. This is totally unbiblical. It, is, it must never be done. And uh, if you go to such a church, I admonish you in the name of Jesus, stop immediately. I don't normally say Amen. these things, but Amen. don't go to such places. Don't, don't go to such places. The, the sheep, the Bible says, Take heed to yourself and to the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. See, the, next time we'll do the pastor again. But the pastor is a caretaker on behalf of the true owner of the sheep, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. The question we have to ask as pastors is that you are supposed to pastor the people the way Christ would have pastored them if he was physically around. Now, would we say that if the Lord will have to fast on our behalf, is going to ask us for provisions? No. So you don't do what the master will not do. So that is how you pastor the people with the heart of a true shepherd. The Bible says, and David shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and the skillfulness of his hands. These are the two things necessary to stand in the office of a pastor on behalf of God's people. The integrity of your hands and the skillfulness, the integrity of your heart and the skillfulness of your hands. So in the nutshell, it's totally wrong and unbiblical for a pastor to ask for provision backup before he fasts for you. Amen. Amen. Another form of holy robbery. It's holy robbery again. <laughs> holy robbery too. Amen. 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 Um, yes. This question we missed last week, so okay. I was really um, careful that we don't miss it again this week. Okay. So um, the person says, uh, Bishop, my husband asked my, my dad for my hand in marriage mm. and he paid my bride price he said church marriage is not biblical pastors don't have hands in marriage but fathers do what should i do okay 
Well, that's a very interesting uh, view. Um, first of all, we know that marriage is ordained by God. Yes. And the church does not dictate your marriage, but the church provides guidance in the marriage. The church definitely has a role to play because if we go back to the Bible and to the beginning, because we always have to adopt Jesus' practice of responding to questions when it comes to biblical interpretation or any questions. Mm -hmm. Anytime you ask Jesus a question, he takes you back to the beginning mm -hmm. and tells you how things were in the beginning. So in the beginning, marriage is established by God. It is God's idea. It's true we marry based on our cultures, but before our cultures, God existed. Before our cultures thought about marriage, it was already a concept by God who put it into society and into man. So we marry according to God's standards, not just because my father wants to give me away in marriage. That's fine, but are we meeting God's biblical standards? We can marry without God. That's up to you and your faith. But if you are a child of faith, then you marry according to God's word. I know there are pastors who have abused their role and therefore have even tried to kick families out. And that's why sometimes some people wage war against the church when it comes to marriages. But you have to realize that. Let's go back to the beginning. In the beginning, how was the marriage set up? What was the marriage in itself? The marriage requires two families. But before the two families, two individuals who must be in love. And then families give their consent. But when families give their consent, we realize that there's a third factor that is left. The example in the garden, as Jesus was teaching, anytime he was asked a question about marriage or any other question, from the beginning it was not so. So let's look at how it was in the beginning. So in the beginning, again, setting the template and starting anything, there weren't so many people around. There was only one man God has created. So that's God's son. And that's God's family member. Mm. His only family he has is God, he too. Then God brings the woman. And God leads the woman to the man. So that is where, so when the same person who doesn't, who want to kick God out of the marriage thing is saying that it is the lady's father who gave to him. Where did the lady's father learn how to give out? It is the father who brought Eve first. So we all learn from the father who established marriage. So you can't learn from the one who established marriage by that example, and try to claim that he's no longer needed for the rest of the ceremony. The beginning of the ceremony, the father brings the daughter. So from the beginning of the ceremony, the father God brought his daughter to the man, Adam, in this case. In that first scenario, God played a multiple role. He was both the father of Adam and the father-in-law of Adam, and was also the father of Eve and the father-in-law of Eve. And both of them were his family. Now, when he then gave the woman to the man, then the Lord blessed them. So there is the element of the blessing of the Lord to unite the thing. A three-fold cord is not easily broken. We need a third fold. So families, yes, have done. That's the two. We need God in the equation. And God then pronounced blessings. So when we marry, families can give. But then we need the element of a representative of God to pronounce blessing. And that is why church gets into the picture. But church doesn't get in to want to control. There have been excesses. There have been lies by pastors, you know, to 
because they have got an interest in the lady or something. Say, it's not the one supposed to marry. Ignore your family. And No, we don't ignore family. We continue to guide. Even when there are resistances, we still continue to guide. Some of the men who resist the church is because they already have got already some motives. Because they don't like when they are doing the wrong thing to have someone to watch over them. Experience has also shown that. And that's why sometimes, as a lady, be careful when a man is trying to knock the church out of the question. Because when he begins to maltreat you and mishandle you, there's no one who will come and speak. Because there's no one both of you look up to in terms of spiritual authority to come into the game, into the picture, to come and settle issues. And that's why sometimes they are arrogant in that way. But if you have nothing to hide, and church is also not abusing its role, but standing properly, you realize that the church interest is your interest. To see that you do well and succeed. No pastor should bless any marriage and is wishing that it dies off. No pastor should get in because he wants to hate one person in the marriage or not. No. So it's true that some people have got issues with churches because churches sometimes have, have not followed the rule. Some pastors have gone beyond their remit. You know, and try to control. It mustn't be control. It must be leading. Even when you get in, you guide. And so that is the, the reason. When church comes in, church leads you to make sure that the marriage becomes an ordinance because that is the certificate that is issued. So it becomes, when it's under the ordinance marriage, that means that you can't marry another person until you go to court. But sometimes when they try to cut off the church and cut off everything, it's only your father who gave it to me. Your father gave it to me under the traditional marriage, which is legal all right, but under that same legality, it permits the man to marry more than one. So when he starts misbehaving, you can't hold him to say, oh, but it's only me. No, I can also bring another one. You can't control me. So you have to be very careful of some of those subtle approaches to say, I don't need the church. If we have nothing to hide, we need a church. Amen. 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 Thank you very, very, very much, Papa. I'll ask one last question. Okay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> why do pastors change their voice when speaking in tongues, the pitch, the tone, etc.? <laughs> I don't know. Do I change my voice? <laughs> and it's the only pastors. It's a very interesting observation. Um, but I, I don't think that... I think sometimes it's better to ask the person mm. uh, because our voice should be our voice. Um, when we are praying, at certain levels of intensity, we raise our voice. But in terms of changing the tone, um, it, it varies. Maybe the person is, is, is being influenced by the Holy Spirit in a different way. Mm. Um, I don't know. I don't normally change my voice so much. The way I start praying in English, I flow like that in tongues. I raise my voice a lot when I'm praying, and, and that's it. But um, I don't think it's only pastors. I think, you know, sometimes even members of the congregation pray like that. Um, but in terms of the variation in, in the tone, um, and probably it sounds different from their normal voice, um, probably we have to ask them. Maybe there is something else that is making them speak like that. Uh, but they, when we receive the Holy Ghost baptism, there's no formula as to whether we should sound in a particular way or not. We, we flow and the Holy Ghost takes us in any direction uh, as far as the language, because it's our spirit man who is doing the prayer. It's not our 
uh, our, our body, which is actually doing the prayer. The tongue is only being employed in the process, but it is the spirit man that is actually doing the prayer uh, with words that cannot be articulated in, in normal speech. Um, so I think that it's a, it's a very subjective question. Um, I, there is no rule like that. So if you observe something like that, maybe the Lord lead you to ask, maybe I'll find out from certain people if I know that they have been changing their tone and ask them, is there a special reason? Then we'll find out. Sometimes you are not in, you, you don't even know, you know, because some levels and depths of prayer, things change. Sometimes the prayer becomes, you know, like a monosyllable and it goes on like that. Some, it's a certain level of travail in prayer where you realize that it's only one thing you are hearing. Remember, Hannah prayed, I'm not saying she spoke in tongues, but she prayed to the point where now it got to a point, her voice is not being heard, but her lips are moving. And the way she's behaving, Eli thought she was drunk. You know, so there are levels of intercession and depth of prayer that it gets to a point where you may be saying one thing, but actually you are, you, you, you are caught up in the spirit. And, and in that case, you don't even know what you are saying. You know, so there are things like that that happens in, in the spirit. Sometimes you are caught up in the spirit like that where you started praying and the last time you saw the clock, it was 10 o'clock. And the next time you check it, it's 11 a.m. the next day. You know, you have been caught up in the spirit like that. So it means that there's a certain point where you didn't know where you were. And in that case, you won't even know what you were saying in terms of the kind of what is coming out of you. And the travail, it may be a different, you know, tone and all of that because there's a depth in the spirit that you have gotten into. These are levels in the spirit. You know, you are caught up like that. Um, so, yes, there have been times I've been caught up like that. And we started praying. So it's normal prayer. I'm just going to sleep. It's 12 o'clock. I just slept. And then 8 a.m. before you woke up and you realize that you are still in prayer, caught up in the living room like that, in that same posture. And, and before you open your eyes. But then you realize that you have been somewhere in the spirit and not knowing I haven't slept for all these eight hours. You know, so if I'm not hearing myself, maybe somebody may be hearing, mm, 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 and that's all that someone may be hearing and wonder, why has he changed his tone? Well, you need to journey with the person into the spirit to know what may be going on. Amen. Amen. <coughs> Amen. Thank you so much, Papa. <laughs> um, Church, I, I, I need you to join me with thanks, with hands clapping, with some jumping and some shouting and all the emojis that you can master to say a very big thank you to Bishop. Shall we go? Thank you very much, uh, Papa. Um, we have gone to a different dimension um, today. And... Um, I think I speak for everyone when I say that you have equipped us um, to go the next few days ahead of us um, until the end of the fasting. You have equipped us to fast and to pray properly so Amen. that we can achieve the rewards that God gives to us in public. Amen. 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 Amen.